Okay, children, you are dismissed to your classrooms along with their Sunday school teachers. Sunday school teachers, thank you very much for your continuous patience and service to the next generation of believers in this world. Amen. Uh, let's give a round of applause to the praise and worship team. Um, praise and worship team always prepares our hearts and minds. Amen. And uh, let's say a happy birthday to our brother Jake who's over there. He almost made it to his outside. <laughs> He's trying to avoid everybody's attention. But uh... <laughs> all right, so it's summer. Amen. Oh, wait, let me not jinx that again because last Sunday snow dropped after I sent that email. Praise God for the sun. And then it starts flurry, flurries came. Um, so as we. We're going to continue with our chapter-to-chapter, uh, uh, chapter, verse-by-verse journey in our book of Ephesians. Uh, so tonight, we will be tackling um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. Uh, I simply entitled it, Employees and Employers. Uh, I could have had it as Slaves and Masters, but I don't want to be banned <laughs> by Facebook or YouTube. Uh, so... A summary of this is Paul continues the general teaching of this section of the letter that a Christian is different. Amen? A Christian is a new man, a new woman, and therefore behaves differently. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's the idea, right? That's the truth. Um, so the Bible, when people tell you is that your Bible, your Bible's not practical, you tell them, my Bible tells me how to be a good employee, my Bible tells me how to be a good employer. So, higher, lower. Check. Okay. Um, so, last, not last week, but last week was the Mother's Day uh, message. But the week before that, we spoke about children and their parents. And then before that, we had wives and husbands, right? So, it's quite practical. The Bible is supernatural as much as it is practical. Amen. Amen. So let me read uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verses 5 to 9, and then we'll get to our message. Um, I'm reading from the King James Version. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partial, partial, partiality with him. <laughs> I put my phone there, so it's not with me. This is the word of the Lord. Praise. All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the songs that prepared our hearts, Lord God. I thank you for um, this church, your church body, Lord God, the building that you provided for us. We pray now, Lord God, that you send your Holy Spirit with us and teach us your word. 
Guide us, Father God. Open our minds and open our hearts for your truth. And Father, reduce, Lord God, remove the distractions, Lord God. Guide us, Father, and speak. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we just read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. Um, I have quite the long introduction here because the message is quite simple, really. It is. But there is this white, this, this, there's this big elephant in the room about slavery, right? If, if, you, if you heard it, because slaves, obey your masters. Now, here's the long introduction, so please bear with me. Should we change the mics? Or? Sorry. Time out, okay. 20 second time out. Not, I was looking for my belt before coming here. I have two belts and the, the enemy's playing around with it. And I, I can't find it. <laughs> so going back, the, the Roman Empire of the first century was a world of slavery on a grand scale. A century before Paul sent his letter to Ephesus, Julius Caesar reportedly shipped back to Rome somewhere in the neighborhood of a million slaves. They made up um, anywhere between 20 and 35% of the population. It has been computed that in the Roman empires, there were 60 million slaves. 60 million slaves, imagine. Yeah, because the Greeks, they don't like to work. They want somebody else to work. So without, without them, the empire could have never have functioned as it did. In Paul's day, a kind of terrible idleness had fallen on the citizens of Rome. Rome was the mistress of the world, and therefore it was beneath the dignity of a Roman citizen to work, right? Practically, all work was done by slaves. Now, even doctors and teachers, even the closest friends of the emperors, their secretaries who dealt with letters and appeals and finance were slaves. For the most part, though, the life of the slave was grim and terrible. In the eyes of the law, he was not a person, but a thing or a tool. Now, for the keen mind, um, if you're not asking this, maybe somebody that you meet and have this criticism about the Bible, they'll say, does your Bible condone slavery? What's your answer? No. <laughs> no, the Bible definitely does not condone it. The Bible gives instructions on how slaves should be treated. Uh, that's in Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 15. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free, uh, and when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. So the Bible, the slavery during biblical times was temporary. Right? It wasn't permanent, just like how they had it here in the U.S. in the 17th and 18th century. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your, brother, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven, making them aware that, hey, 
Somebody else higher than you is watching you. And then what we just read today in Ephesians 6, 9, right? Masters do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partial, I can't say this, partial, partiality with him. Partiality with him. Many see these instructions as the Bible condoning all forms of slavery. What many fail to understand is that slavery in biblical times was very different from the slavery that was practiced in the few past centuries in parts of many world. Um, uh, the slavery in the Bible was not based exclusive on race. Here, I have it on the screen. People were not enslaved because of their nationality or the color of their skin. In Bible times, slavery was based more on economics. It was a matter of social status. Um, people sold themselves as slaves when they could not pay their debts or provide for their families. So that's our biblical background in slavery. In New Testament times, sometimes doctors and lawyers, even politicians, were slaves of someone else. Some people actually choose to be slaves so as to have their needs paid for and provided for by their masters. So does that sound familiar to you? No. If you look at your badge, ID badge, you chose to be the slaves of that company, right? The slavery of the past centuries were often based exclusively on skin color. In the United States, many black people were considered slaves because of their nationality. Many slave owners truly believe black people to be inferior human beings, which is not true. The Bible condemns race-based slavery, that it teaches that all men are created by God in his image, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And at the same time, the Old Testament did allow for economic-based slavery and regulated it. The key issue is that slavery is the in the Bible, the slavery that the Bible allowed for in no way resembled the racial slavery that plagued our world and this country in the past. Now, in addition, both the Old and the New Testaments condemn the practice of man-stealing, like kidnapping, which is what happened in Africa in the 16th to the 19th century. Africans were rounded up by slave hunters who sold them to slave traders who brought them to the New World to work on plantation and farms. This practice is abhorrent to God in fact, the penalty for such a crime in the Mosaic Law was Exodus 21.16. Anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still, or still has him when he is caught must be put to death. Similarly, in the New Testament, slave traders are listed among those who are ungodly and sinful and are in the same category as those who kill their fathers and mothers murderers, adulterers, perverts, and liars, and perjurers. That's in 1 Timothy 1, 8 to 10. See, it's all over the Bible. So if you wanted to see it, so the answer, the Bible does not condone slavery. The slavery that was happening back in the biblical times were the economic part of slavery. Um, that's where the verse is. 
Now, another crucial point is that the purpose of the Bible is to point the way to salvation, not to reform society. Did you guys hear that part? Because there's going to be a lot of social reform cries right now. But the main, main focus of the Bible is to save the person for eternity. Amen? The Bible often approaches issues from the inside out. If a person experiences the love, mercy, and grace of God by receiving his salvation, God will reform his soul, changing the way he thinks and he acts. A person who has experienced God's gift of salvation and freedom from slavery of sin as God reforms his soul will realize the enslaving another human being is wrong. Because again, the real change that happens or must happen should be from the inside out. And the only way that can happen is if a person receives Christ as their Lord because the Holy Spirit changes the heart of the person. Amen? Now, remember in, uh, in uh, Philemon 1.16, Paul was asking uh, Philemon about Onesimus, the slave that, that escaped, and then Onesimus became a helper of, of Paul in the church in, Colossian, in Colossae. So this is the letter, part of the letter. He says he was asking Philemon to treat Onesimus no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Because Onesimus became a Christian. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, but as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. See, there's slavery was very prominent during their time, but again, there's God regulated what what slavery was. But Paul was very, very much aware of the economic status and and and, and uh, status of it, so he was willing to navigate through it because of the purpose of the soul of the person. A person who has truly experienced God's grace will in turn be gracious toward others. Amen? Don't you agree? That's, at least that's the expectation, right? That would be the Bible's prescription for ending slavery or any oppression towards other fellow men. Here then we have the apostolic teaching on how the gospel of grace functions in a social order. We often find intolerable. intolerable. We just don't like it. But the principles Paul expresses are also applicable today to the social order in which we are familiar with. Now, we, are, we no longer call ourselves slaves, right? Because it's very offensive and we don't like it. Uh, we have not been sold to a master, right? Yet we have, quote-unquote, sold to 40 hours a week. <laughs> we have sold 40 hours of our day, of our life, a week to a, quote-unquote, master. Now, we do this under carefully controlled conditions because we can quit at any time or we can join an organized group like a union uh, without fearing for any physical punishment. Now, raise your hand if, you're having, if your boss is giving you physical punishment, and we will help you right now. Right? <laughs> Nobody except Vince, right? But it's, it's, it's a controlled environment. We have an agreement. It's a mutual agreement. Now, for, the, for time's sake, because I already did 15 minutes in that introduction, we will only do... Uh, the employee part for tonight. Um, now, there's this 
word that I'm going to be using, disposition. Disposition means it's a person's inherent qualities of mind and character, right? That's what a disposition is. So here's, um, here's the first point. Serve with fear and trembling. Paul continues the general teaching of this section of the letter. The Christian is different, a new man, and therefore behaves differently. He repeats the specific note, note he has struck throughout the subsection of basic, on basic relationships. It's the same thing. He's talked about family. He talked about husband and wife. He talked about church. And he's talking about your, your behavior at work. The Christian is characterized by a spirit of appropriate submission because he or she has submitted to Jesus Christ. The basic disposition of a believer is different from that of the unbeliever, and his or her style of living is different too. Paul, therefore, lists several marks of the Christian slave. Here, this is the verse that we're going to be attacking first. Slaves are to obey their masters and to do so with fear and trembling. The fear word is, the original means phobia. A fear of something, right? So we have the work phobia for some of us. <laughs> the children have the chores phobia, right? <laughs> some wives have the saving phobia. <laughs> as much as the husbands have the spending phobia. <laughs> now, <laughs> phobia can mean anything. From loving reference to real terror. In the context of this passage, the meaning is more on loving, okay? It's more on loving than real terror. Paul has used it in this sense in 5.21. Remember uh, Ephesians 5.21 when he said, We are to submit to one another in reverence, fear, honor, and respect for Christ. And then in chapter 5, verse 33, where he says, The wife reverences, fears, honors, and respects her husband. So the context of this is that the Christian, the employee Christian, is spirit-filled. Okay, The Christian is in love and walking ever so closely with the Lord. So that Christian, that Christian cannot be an irritating employee. That Christian is going to be one of the best employees that their boss will have. That's the context of it. It's a Christian who's walking closely with the Lord. Now here, however, Paul takes this a stage further. He uses the phrase fear and trembling. Elsewhere, he taught that this disposition is to characterize the Christian in general. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2.12. There it refers to the Christian's disposition or mentality towards the Lord. The same expression is used to describe the way the Christians receive Titus in 2 Corinthians 7.15. In both instances, it describes a loyalty whose anxiety or worry or concern lies in the thought that a loved one might not be let down. That's what he meant when he says, serve with fear and trembling. Do not disappoint your loved one, basically. Right? 
Paul is calling for the same godly disposition here as he adds with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. It is in the relationship of the believer to his or her master that the expression is given to the relationship with heaven that lies behind it. All this is qualified by the key words, as to Christ, or as you would Christ. Obedience was to be as unto Christ. The slave was to look upon his obedience as a kind of Christian duty, a service performed as though it was done unto the Lord himself. Now, if you're working at McDonald's, you and then you see this, this rude customer, and then you're going to apply this verse, you're going to look at that customer as if he is Christ, even if they don't deserve it in your mind. Like, he's so rude. He's not Christ. He's Lucifer, right? But your heart must be because you're serving us to the Lord. Your attitude is, it's my pleasure, like in Chick-fil-A, right? I love it whenever they say it. It's like, I don't know if they really mean it, but it looks like it and it feels like it and I love it. I'm like, man. I'm like, thank you. Can I get extra? Oh, sure. My pleasure. I'm like, what? Can I have five more? Sure. My pleasure. I'm like, this guy's going to go bankrupt. Five Filipinos are behind me. They're going to be out on this thing. But right, so this is the whole point of it. You're serving at work, at home, as to the Lord. Right? Now, because of this, the believing employee, and Paul assumes that both the slave and the master would be sitting in the assembly, works wholeheartedly for his earthly master. Just as thankfulness motivates obedience to Christ, it also spills over into quality service out of love and reference for him. Now, folks, you are only at church for like an hour or two, right, or three. You are mostly at work. For 40 hours a week. So your ministry here at church, as vital as it is, as important as it is, your ministry, if you are working as to the Lord, where is your ministry mainly? At work. Your ministry is at work. So the whole thing about this is this. This is your testimony. This is your witness. Your co-workers, your boss... They probably won't ever meet another Christian just like you, right? You are, or, or this, you are the only Christian that they know in their life all these years. So how is your testimony, right? So this is the application. If you're thinking, well, you know what, I just want to serve the Lord. I don't want to work anymore. I want to serve the Lord. I just want to go to, I want to be a preacher. I want to be at church. Can we have six services at church so that I could just be at, at serving the Lord? No, you can't, right? Because it's impractical. Now, here's an illustration. The, the heroes of the Bible had regular jobs. Did you guys know that? Most of the heroes in the Bible had what we would think as a secular vocation. Isaac developed real estate. <laughs> Jacob was a rancher. Joseph was a government official uh, in charge of agriculture, and he was in charge of the economy and immigration policy, <laughs> who served a pharaoh in a foreign land that did not honor Israel's God. He was a prime minister of Egypt. Joseph did not decide he could serve God best by leaving his well-paying government job. He said, he didn't say that, right? He just stayed at it. 
and starting a non-profit faith-based organization to do charity work. He didn't say that because, oh, this is more holy. This is more biblical. No, he stayed where God wanted him and served God there. Moses spent 40 years as a sheep herder, right? That's why he said, Lord, don't, don't choose me. I, I'm, I'm a man of slow speech because the 40 years he was only talking to sheep, right? He would just go, meh. Right? That, that was the three languages he speaks. He spoke sheep, right? Esther won a beauty pageant. Did you guys know? Yeah, she won a beauty pageant and went into government service. And David worked in animal husbandry. No, not your husband. Husbandry. The military and statecraft. Daniel was an immigrant who attended Babylon's version of Oxford and became prime minister. Lydia was a successful businesswoman in textiles. Paul was a tent maker. Perhaps the ultimate expression of how much God values work is Jesus, our Lord, was a carpenter. Carpenter. Jesus spent more than three quarters of his working life in the building profession, fashioning benches and tables and probably involved in construction, just like our brother John Goslin. The word we translate carpenter comes from the Greek word tekton, from which we get our word technology, and would include the ability to do stone and masonry work. The Bible is a book written by workers, about workers, for workers, right? But too often in discussion about spiritual life, our work gets ignored because we quickly separate we say, this is my secular life, and this is my spiritual life. There's no such thing. You, when you come out of this church, you're the same Bible that sits here right now, and you're the same Bible that will be going out there. So make sure the people that are around you are reading the Bible that is written down in the Bible. Make sense? Maybe. Second point is the ser as servants of Christ. Now, please, if I can, please have your attention. I have a very um, biblical video for you guys to watch. As servants of Christ, we are to be serving us unto the Lord. Amen? Yeah, so at your work, you should be alert as to your serving the Lord. Don't be this person. Can you loop it again? So basically, everybody, they filmed her because she was falling asleep. And everybody started clapping. And then she clapped along with them. It's just like when you fall asleep at church and everybody said amen. You go, amen, amen. You're just like going around with the flow. Okay. Now, as servants of Christ is the second point. As servants of Christ, Christians... You represent Christ because you tell your you told your boss, oh, I don't schedule me for Sunday because I have church, right? So everybody knows you're a Christian, or you you tell them, oh, I have to leave early on Wednesday because I'm going to go to my prayer meeting, right? So you're a Christian. At the break room, you're saying, hey, don't cuss around me because I'm a Christian, right? Those are all great testimonies, but your work must be with your actions must be working too. You can't be. You're supposed to be picking at the warehouse and then you're sharing the gospel, right? That's stealing from your, your, your boss, right? 
Now, you know, Bong, Bong applied for an accounting job. Do you guys know? Yeah. So, so this is how his interview uh, went. Um, the employer asked him, all right, Bong, in this job, we need someone who is responsible. So Bong replied, I'm the one you want. On my last job, every time anything went wrong, they said I was responsible. <laughs> and then the employer asked, all right, Bong, describe yourself with one word. Bong answered, hmm, I'm bad with numbers. <laughs> You'll get it there. You got it? You got it? Okay. This is verse 6 is not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Now, did you know, do you notice that the gospel is, has a rebellious character? Rebellious in the sense that it's not conforming to the norm of the world. Do you notice that? The earthly master who is not a believer cannot understand why the Christian slave is so responsive, so gracious, so diligent. The slave master that is not a Christian gives the slave Christian a very hard time, yet the person, the Christian says, yes, sir, I'll do it. You keep them questioning, what is wrong with this person? Obedience to the master is not by way of eye service, or as people pleasers. Eye service graphically depicts the conduct of the person who works only when he or she is being watched, right? Because the boss is around. Oh, go, 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 quiet, quiet. Stop the cheese piece right now. The boss is here. <laughs> Hello, sir. <laughs> I'm cutting the carrots, <laughs> right? No, because the cheese piece stopped. No, we have to be with or without the boss watching us. We have to be aware that our Master in heaven is watching us. Amen? Not because they can't see that you're on Facebook on your phone, but you've been there for 12 hours and not doing anything. You should be serving not as eye pleasers or people pleasers or eye service or men pleasers. You have to be serving your true master in heaven. Those who serve properly perform their duties. As the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with doing, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. The believing slave was to see himself as Christ's slave and to understand that in the performance of his daily task, he was doing God's will. For this reason, his work was to be done heartily, literally out of the soul and with good will. Indeed, it does not have the earthly master ultimately in his view. Uh, he, he should be doing it with or without the view of the master. It is always an expression of obedience to Christ, the true and best master in whose service is perfect freedom. The slave's goodwill to his master is an expression of his love for his Lord. Thus, a slave would would enjoy an inner freedom from the master who regarded himself as the center of the universe, but was, but was too short-sighted to notice that his Christian slave was working far beyond earthly masters to a heavenly one and was serving him. Now, when we learn to do things for Christ, we are 
we are set free from earthly servitude and find joy and pleasure in our labors. Did you get that? If you can just take your eyes away from your boss who just bugs you and is unfair and is just, you know, just making your life miserable, if you can look past that and you will say, I have to serve us unto the Lord, right? You will, your heart will be serving joyfully, hopefully, because you love the Lord, correct? Psalm 37, 4 reads, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But taking delight in the Lord is the first step of that. Meaning you are to be all about God. You are to be living for God. You are to be, in our topic tonight, working for God. Right? Joe, throw this trash. Yes, sir. I've been waiting for you to ask me to throw the trash. And they're like, what in the world? <laughs> Come here, Joe. Park my car. And you're like, I'm, I'm a realtor here. <laughs> okay, I'll park your car. You made me a valet. Yes, I'll park your car, sir. Right? <laughs> because you're doing it for God. See, if, if your heart will be that and your mind will be about God, everything else will just be noise. Don't you agree? You know, everything, it applies to our work, it applies at our home, when we're serving our children, when we're serving our, our spouse, when we're serving the church, in our ministries. And you know what? It, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? Yes, your boss is unfair to you. Yes, everything at work is just not fair. You have all the work and everybody else are just relaxing. And nobody else is, is acknowledging your hard work. Yes, that's probably true. And I'm with you. I feel for you. But you know what? God knows. Right? This is when you answer me. Pastor, God knows. That's the right God knows. Right? God knows that you are serving Him wholeheartedly through this job that's persecuting you. God knows that you are, you are working twice as hard as everybody else while everybody else is taking advantage of the fact that you're a Christian. Give it to the Christian. He loves to do it. Give it to him. He's going to be off tomorrow anyway. It's Sunday. Just make him work now. And if he, if he bites back, we're going to say, Oh, is that what a Christian is? <laughs> <laughs> I know we fall, all fall to it, right? We fall into that trap. They're going to egg us. Oh, yeah, here, do this. And you're like, you know what? I've had enough. Oh, my gosh. Is that what a Christian is? You know what? Again, we have to have the mindset and attitude. This is what Paul's telling us. The mindset and attitude that we are doing all of these things for God's pleasure. And even if we do not get that plaque of employee of the month or employee of the year or employee of the day or employee of the, the week, God knows. Because if you're doing it for God, amen, God will re reward you. So what are the things, the practical things to be a good employee for the Lord? Don't be late. Ouch, pastor. 
I'm a Filipino. <laughs> Late is part of my life. Come on. <laughs> Island time, cabron. <laughs> Come on. We're 16 hours ahead in the Philippines. You know, I'm just taking my time. No, you cannot be late, Christian. Now, if you're going to ask for a, a reference from me, make sure you, I will give you a good reference. I always give you guys good reference. But make sure you don't fail me. <laughs> Because I'm going to say you're a diligent person, that you're a hard worker, that you're willing and you are able, right? <laughs> right? God is a God of grace, but you have to be a, a person of integrity. Me and the youth, the youth, the group, youth group were our topic last Thursday was integrity. Doing something right even though nobody's watching. See, if your children are being taught that and you're teaching your children that, don't you think that you need to be the same? You cannot be late. You cannot be on social media or on your phone while you're at work. Oh, what? <laughs> I know. Why is that part of now? Don't we have to leave that on the locker room, in the locker room, right? Some of us, you know what we leave in the locker room or in our cars? Is our Christianity. <laughs> oh, let me just take the Joe Christian out <laughs> and then I'll go to work. No, you leave everything. You go to work as a Christian. What's the other one? You work harder, as harder than the next guy. Right? Because you said you're a Christian. You're going to be off on Sunday. <laughs> you invited them for the anniversary. You invited them for, for Resurrection Sunday. Right? You said you'll pray for them. So you have to be working diligently. Your supervisor is saying, I can count on that person. I love having Christian employees. You know, Brother Nori's not here anymore, but if you needed a job before and Brother Nori was, uh, was still here, and he will give his reference, he'll refer you to their, their, you're already hired just because Nori said it. Because Nori is one of the hardest workers in his company. Everybody that Nori referred in that, that company, everybody was hired. That's why I, was, I, was, I reserved that. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to put that in my back, back pocket. Well, now he's gone, so I got to do well in real estate. But no, but that's, is that what a Christian is? A Christian is somebody that they can depend on, somebody that, can, that works hard, somebody who's honest. Amen? Those are practical things. Practical things of a Christian employee. Amen? The motive of service is what counts with the Lord. The motive of the service is what counts with the Lord, not the external show. Because the external is, is eye-pleasing, right? You're only moving when the boss is there. But God is watching you. God is watching every and the intentions of your heart. Why did you do that good thing? God will, God will count that or take it against you. The labor of those who were in the ministry was never in vain during Paul's time and in our time now. Your labor is not in vain. Our Lord is watching. Our Lord is watching. Now, this, that thought that the, our Lord is watching would serve as a joy for you if you love the Lord. That thought that the Lord knows everything will, be, will serve like a crown of rejoicing for you now and in the future day. And it must not be a small encouragement to labor. It should be the encouragement for you to labor and continue to do whatever God has given to you. Your work is God's blessing to you. Amen? And make sure that around your work, 
you're, you're testifying God, not just by your words, but with your life as well. Amen? Believers, Christian workers, Christ will not forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown to your co-workers, to your boss, in his name. And God will not forget the work that you've done for his church and for his people, for his name. He will take notice of them as fruits of his own grace and bestow his rewards upon you. Though it will not be given as payment for a debt, but from pure grace, which the doctrine of the resurrection assures and encourages all of us to hope for. Amen? That is our message for tonight. Thank you very much for your patience. As the music team makes their way up here, I'm going to close us in prayer. Um, and hopefully uh, the message will help you tomorrow as you go back to work. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your message for us tonight, reminding us, Lord God, that everything about us and everything that we have is from you and is about you. I pray right now, Lord God, for my brothers and my sisters who are struggling at work because of difficult people that they work with. I pray, Father, that you give them your heart, your heart to see these people as lost people. I pray that you give them the burden for the lost, Lord God, in order for them to be praying for those people and in order for them to watch everything that they say and everything that they do, knowing that they are your testimony, knowing that they are your funnel, Lord God, of grace and your mercy. I pray, Father God, for wisdom for my brothers and sisters. Give us wisdom, Lord God, to know what to do and what not to do at difficult times at work, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that you will give us all the discernment in order for us, Lord God, to know what to apply at the right moment. Father, be pleased with us and forgive us, Lord, for our shortcomings. We love you, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen.